This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. I'm so glad to be back with you in episode one of Worth Recovery. Also, I am so glad it is Friday. It has felt like such a long week. But I am really, really glad and really excited for our topic today. When I started attending 12-step and other recovery meetings, I would always hear phrases like, I'm working my program, or I've got a solid program, or I'd hear someone describe someone else as having a weak program or not working their program. Um, For months, this phrase kind of eluded me, like, what exactly did it mean that they had a program of recovery or that they were working their program? I remember scouring and scouting recovery literature, looking for the program, quote unquote program, hoping to find, you know, some magic checklist. Um, I studied math in college. I, I wanted like the X, Y, and Z, right? X plus Y plus Z equals sobriety. Woohoo! I wanted everything kind of spelled out for me, word for word, action by action, variable by variable. I spent my whole college career solving very complex problems, differential equations, calculus, and all sorts of other abstract algebra things going on. And I knew that if I had an equation, if I had all of the variables, that I could make it work. I wanted, like I said, the X plus Y plus Z equals sobriety. I wanted to be able to figure out those factors. And as I researched and researched, there was no such luck. There was nothing that told me exactly what I needed to do in order to stay sober or in order to find recovery. And and I really, really read a lot. A lot of 12-step literature, a lot of just a general addiction literature. I read everything I could get my hands on by Patrick Carnes. I read a lot of self-help books. I asked my therapist. At this point in time in my recovery, I didn't have a sponsor yet. So I didn't have that uh, resource to look to. But no one, no one could give me the list I was looking for. And as I kind of started comparing things back and forth, some of it even contradicted itself. Um, some would say, you know, you've got to do this every day and it has to be in the morning. It can't be any other time of day. And other people would be like, you have to do this every day or, you know, or you don't have to do this every day. I got all sorts of contradicting information about the X and the Y and the Z that would lead me to recovery. And looking back on it now, I totally understand why. Though in the moment I was super frustrated, but now I get it. And that's because our recovery is our own. We have to have our own ownership over our recovery. If a book provided me a list and I did every single thing that was on that list and yet I couldn't stay sober, I would have an excuse. I'd have a justification or a rationalization for why I couldn't stay sober. I'm sure I would lament something like the book failed me or my therapist failed me or whatever it was. I did every single thing they told me to do and it didn't work. I am an expert at blaming, rationalization, playing the victim. 
I could do that. I could probably make that work. And I could probably sue the author and actually win. That is how serious I am about playing the victim and blaming other people. I didn't necessarily want to take real control over my actions. I didn't really understand that I wasn't taking real control over my actions. But I will say this, what I have learned is that every single one of us has to begin recovery by taking ownership of our actions and our inactions. And that was a big deal for me. Now, I mean, I felt like I was taking responsibility for my actions just by coming into recovery, right? Like I didn't want to act out anymore. I didn't want to do these things. But it was in recovery that I also learned that there was a lot of inaction in my life and that I wasn't taking responsibility for that. Designing a program of recovery that fits my needs is my job and only my job. It's not the job of a book or my therapist or my sponsor or anyone else in my life. It's not the job of my spouse or a confident or a support person. It's my job to learn and understand my own needs and to find the actions that I need to take to keep myself sober. The other great thing I've learned in recovery is that even though designing this program is 100% my responsibility and my job, it doesn't mean that I have to do it alone or that I have to do it by myself. I can ask for help and I can even ask for a lot of help if I choose to. I also know, having just said that, that it's my responsibility, that for me personally, I would have been completely lost if it wasn't for those addicts who came before me in recovery and shared their knowledge and experiences with me. At meetings, I would hear people doing really, really hard things and being really, really successful at it. I sat with people after meetings and listened to them talk about what they were doing in their lives and how they were succeeding. And I took notes. I took notes of what they were saying. I took notes of the routines and the things that were going on in their lives. I took notes of how they were responding to these things. I took the suggestions that I was reading in books, those from my therapist and later from my sponsor, and I tried them. Even though I didn't want to, even if everything inside me was saying, no, don't do that, I would do it. I would do it because of the fav my favorite quote that I memorized from Albert Einstein when I was in college, and it says this, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Now, I used to use that and apply it towards differential equations because that was like my nemesis when I was in college, but it's true for everything in our lives. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So I created this addiction. I created the behavior. I created the problems that I was having. And I knew that I could not use the same thinking to get out of that, to solve that problem. I couldn't use it. I couldn't use the same thinking. So when my thinking would say, that won't work, or that sounds stupid, or I don't really want to do that, I would do it anyway. I would do it anyway because I needed new thinking. And so exposing myself to these people that were actually being successful in recovery helped me to learn new thinking. Now, on this journey of figuring out what my personal program of recovery needed to look like, I started to notice the trends and the common components of the programs of other people. Now, their programs all looked different. They might have different routines. They might, those routines might occur at different times during the day or the week. 
because it's tailored to their circumstances, their beliefs, their experiences. However, as I came went along, I noticed that there were common components. And so that's what I really want to focus on today is what are those common components? Let's discuss what they are, what they might look like in your program. And then I want to give you kind of the statements that I use to evaluate my own recovery program. Now, in order to help you in this process, I've created a one-page worksheet that I've made available on the website, www.worthrecovery.com, that can help you evaluate your own program and will give you some information about the components of a good recovery program that we talk about today. Okay, now, I've noticed four major components in the recovery of women I admire whose sobriety and recovery I want to emulate in my life. Now, these don't just come from women. I have worked with a lot of men in recovery as well, and I've seen what they have accomplished. So these are also the four major components in my own recovery program. So these four major components are this. Number one, rituals and routine. Number two, connection. Number three, accountability. And number four, 12-step work. So we're gonna break these four down piece by piece and talk about what they might look like in your program and what they look like in other people. So the first one is number one, rituals and routine. So the purpose of this, again, is from Albert Einstein. We can't solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So to avoid that type of thinking, I have to have predetermined rituals and routines that have become habits in my life that help me in those moments of crisis. When I'm in crisis, my default thinking kicks in. And I know that my default thinking led me to an addiction. And so in order to bypass that default thinking, I have got to and, and eventually change it because I'm not just looking for temporary bypass, but eventually change that thinking. I have to have daily ritual routines and routines in my life that help me. The most common ones that I see are these three. One, some type of daily recovery ritual. Second, a relapse contract. And third, a trigger release routine. So daily recovery ritual, right? So I'm sure that you have heard someone somewhere praise the idea of dailies, things that I do on a daily basis that keep me recovery focused. You're going to hear it again. That's, that's how I feel, dailies. There's got to be something that you do on a daily basis that keeps you recovery focused. For me, there are four pieces that I do on a daily basis. One, I connect with my higher power. For me, that looks like prayer or meditation. I spend time every day consciously connecting with my higher power. Two, I read from recovery literature every day. Every day I read from some type of recovery literature, whether that's my 12-step group, whether that's AA, I love the big book, whether that's a book that my therapist has recommended for me to read, something that keeps me recovery focused and some keeps recovery in my mind. Third, I connect with a support person. Now we're going to get into connection later, so I'm not going to elaborate on that, but I think connecting is part of my daily routine. And fourth, I do some type of self-assessment and or reflection. And that looks like journaling for me or an accountability call to um, my sponsor or someone else that I'm working with. So those are the four things that I do in my daily recovery ritual. But that's me. Yours might look different. And that's totally great because you need to find something that really, really works for you. 
Uh, the second piece of, of these kind of rituals and routines is a relapse contract. Now, this came into being for me because at first when I got into the program and I would relapse, it was horrible. I would go into this total shame spiral. I wouldn't tell anybody because I was embarrassed and I didn't want to have to really talk about it or deal with it. And it would be weeks before I would finally tell my therapist or I would finally tell the group that I was working with that I had relapsed. And I felt bad. I was lying about my recovery. Or I was lying about my sobriety date in recovery meetings. And it was just horrible. And my therapist helped me put into place a relapse contract. And I do this with all of the women that I work with. It's a short list of things that I will do when I relapse, but it has a date on it a certain time period that I have to get these things done in. So for, at first it was like, I will tell my therapist at my next appointment. I will contact my sponsor within 24 hours and tell them. I will attend a meeting within 48 hours and be honest about my sobriety date. But then also there was some processing pieces. Like I will journal about it and look at the patterns that led up to the relapse. And then the last piece was something, some kind of self-care that would help me to get back on track and not fall into the shame spiral. And so having a relapse contract really, really helped me. It helped me be honest. It helped me avoid weeks and weeks of shame. And it helped me get back on track much faster. The third ritual or routine that I've seen with people is what I call a trigger release routine. Now, I work my program not to prevent triggers, I work my program because triggers are inevitable. Even when I'm not seeking them, when I don't want them to be there, when I've had a solid recovery day, it doesn't matter. Triggers will come. And I need to have a process in place that helps me release that trigger. Otherwise, I will sit on it and obsess and again, fall into a shame spiral if I do not figure out how to deal with that trigger in a constructive way. And so I designed a process that helped me to learn how to release those triggers. In every trigger, there are three pieces, a physical piece, an emotional piece, and a spiritual piece. At least that's been my experience. That's how I feel. That's how I look at triggers, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And so I have to do something in all three of those categories if I want to release a trigger. So for instance, I remember early on in recovery, driving down the street, I had maybe three months of sobriety. I was just driving. I was in the car and I was parked. I mean, I stopped. I wasn't parked. I was stopped at a light and this gentleman walks across the crosswalk in front of me and I had a physical reaction to the way that he was dressed, what he looked like. And he looked at me and we made eye contact in my car. And I was just overcome with lust. And there was a physical component to that. But at the same time, there's a spiritual component to that. Because when I start looking for other lust in other people or using other people to lust, I disconnect from my higher power. I can't use someone and be connected with my higher power at the same time. And so there's a disconnect that happens when that happens. And so there's a spiritual piece to that. There was also an emotional piece because I instantly thought, oh my gosh, I have a problem. Like that had never happened to me before. Like a stranger in a car and a crosswalk, like seriously. And I started obsessing over like, wow, I am much more sick and much more broken than I ever thought. 
And so even that small trigger, there's three components, a physical, a spiritual, and emotional. And so my trigger release routine has to address all three of those, physical, spiritual, and emotional. And these are things that I put in place. These are my routines and rituals that I have that help me to stay sober. That's part of my program. Okay, number two, big number two here is connection. Now, I think we've talked about this, but sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. And because it's an intimacy disorder, I had problems connecting with people. The struggle is real. It's not just little problems, it's big problems. And, and let me qualify this, I guess. I have problems connecting with people authentically and in a healthy way. Because I could connect with people. That was not my problem. But my problem in sex addiction was that I couldn't do it authentically or in a healthy way. And so there's got to be a piece to your recovery program that includes connection. And it might look like a variety of things. It might look like a daily phone call to your sponsor. If you're new, definitely I recommend that you're doing a daily phone call to your sponsor. It might look like daily phone calls to other recovery friends in your recovery circle. Again, if you're new, I recommend you're doing that. At least two calls a day, sponsor and a recovery friend. Um, it might look like I joined some email groups um, that were addiction oriented and people could kind of reach out and say, hey, I need help. And it allowed me to respond in a healthy way. It allowed me to also understand the struggles that other people were going through. And that really helped me early on in recovery. It might look like meeting attendance. Um, maybe you're connecting with other people at meetings. Maybe you're doing a 90 and 90 and you're going to a meeting every day so that you can connect with other people and get outside of yourself. But there has to be a piece of connection that happens in your recovery that's different than what you were doing before. You know, for me, phone calls were really, really hard at the beginning. I felt like a burden. I didn't really know what to say. I didn't know how to ask for help. And it was something I really struggled with until people started calling me for help because I wanted to help them. As soon as they called, I was like, oh, let, oh, I feel so honored. Let me, let me talk to you. Let me listen to you. You know, let me understand what you're going through. And as people started calling me for support, I felt more comfortable reaching out to other people because I had that model of what it looked like. And so I would start asking for help. I think we're all, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to include everyone. I want to just speak for myself, but in my experience, we're all natural helpers as women and even as, I think specifically as women addicts, we want to help. It's hard for us to ask for help usually. And so I, I just really encourage you that you've got to find a piece of connection in your recovery. If you don't, you're going to stay unplugged and disconnected and it's not going to be as successful as you want. You've got to connect every day. Okay, big number three here. Number three is accountability. We can't do this alone. We will never be able to do it alone. Again, Albert Einstein, my favorite quote, we can't solve our problems with the same thinking, thinking we used when we created them. Accountability is a huge piece of the recovery program because we need someone to check our thinking against and also learn new ways of thinking. My best thinking led me down the road of serious addiction that almost probably if I hadn't stopped would have taken my life. That was my best thinking when it came to recovery. 
I need accountability. I need someone else to bounce my ideas off of. I need someone else to give me a new insight, new way of thinking into things. I need that. And you might, there's lots of different ways that you can find that accountability. Maybe yours looks like 12-step meeting attendance where you know people and they inquire about you if you're not there, right? Not just like I show up at a meeting late, I walk in, I sit down, I listen, I don't share, I leave right when it's over. That's not accountability, people. You've got to know people. You've got to, they've got, they need to be able to know your name. They inquire after you if you're not there and you do the same for them. Your accountability might look like therapy. Maybe you've got consistent therapy where you do what your therapist asks and you come with questions and you receive feedback about your behavior and your life. I am very pro-therapy. Therapy was a huge piece of my recovery. It still is a huge piece of my recovery. And I hear people complain about therapy. I know that people have had some really unfortunate experiences with therapists. I did too at the beginning. You've got to find a therapist that works for you. And that accountability piece might look like therapy. It might look like engaged sponsorship. Now I'm not just saying sponsorship, I'm saying engaged sponsorship. I know lots of people that say they have a sponsor, but they don't call them consistently. They're not working steps. They're not actually working through a program. And it's important that as a recovering addict that you have an engaged sponsor and that you're engaged in the sponsorship process. If you're not going to, then let your sponsor go so they can help someone else and sponsor someone else and get some work done. It might look like recovery coaching. Maybe you've got a recovery coach that you work with. Whatever accountability pieces you need to put into place, it's, it's essential that accountability be a big part of your recovery program. Okay, last one, number four. So number four for me looks like 12-step work. The things my therapist asked me to do were hard. They were some of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. But by far, my 12-step work was totally harder. And I would say, I mean, let me qualify. I had a really, really great sponsor. And so my 12-step work, it was done with sincerity. It was done with an engaged sponsor who really, really helped me understand what these steps were about and how they would change my life. Again, I did really hard things in therapy, but I think some of the hardest things I've ever done in my life were in my 12-step work. This is where the deep work happens. This is change. This is where I started seeing people as humans with their own independent thoughts, feelings, desires, and need, and not as sources to feed my lust, my vanity, or to meet my own needs. This has been some of the hardest work I have done in my life because it, it involved giving up my will, my ego, my desires. And I firmly believe in 12 steps. The 12 steps, when worked honestly, really start to become a way of life, a way that we live and a guide on how we treat others and how we see the world. This seriously has been life changing for me. So those are kind of the four pillars, the four ideas of your program of recovery. Do you have rituals and routines in place? Are you connecting? Do you have accountability? And are you working the 12 steps? Those are the four pillars that will really lead to lasting recovery. But the key to all of this is consistency. If I'm not practicing or doing these things on a daily basis every day, I will not pass the test when the triggers and temptation come. If I'm not connecting when things are good, 
I usually won't do it when I need help. If I'm not holding myself accountable every day about the little things, I won't do it about the big things when they come up. It is doing it every day with consistency that really, really makes the program work. So now you have it. The four pillars of your recovery program. Rituals and routines, connection, accountability, and 12-step work. Those are our four pillars. But how do I know if what I have in place is really working for me? How do I know if it's the best or where I need to make improvements? What I do is I have, I have 10 statements and I read them and I rank myself on a scale of one to five and I track this over time to see how my routine is working for me. These statements are designed to really help you evaluate what's going on and make sure that the things that you have in place are, are moving you forward. Okay, so I'm going to read these 10 statements and I want you to remember, rank yourself one to five. So number one, I have a consistent daily routine that helps me stay recovery focused. Number two, I execute my daily routine on a consistent basis, even when I don't feel like it. Number three, triggers are speed bumps in my life, but not major roadblocks. Number four, I initiate connection at least once a day. Number five, I am honest with those that I connect with. Number six, I have at least two sources of outside accountability. Number seven, I attend a 12-step fellowship meeting at least once a week. Number eight, I have a sponsor that is guiding me through working the 12 steps. Number nine, I know what step I am on and I am taking action towards completing it at least weekly. And number 10, I am happy with my progress in recovery. So ladies, a solid recovery program is vital. As you peel back kind of the sexual addictive behaviors that you have and you start really unraveling the core issues you've been facing, you will undoubtedly encounter triggers and temptations. Again, I work a program of recovery not because it prevents triggers or temptations. I work a program of recovery because triggers are inevitable. Whether I seek them out or not, they will come. I work a program of recovery to control what I can control, but also realize that there is so much out of my control. And so this helps me work on both taking action and being accountable for my inaction. As my recovery changes, my program changes. It's a fluid thing and you will change with time as you get to know yourself better, understand your needs, and progress towards your recovery goals. But every day... Even today, nearly five years into recovery, these four pillars make up a huge portion of my recovery program. I have a daily routine. Every morning, 7 a.m., you will find me executing my routine. I initiate connection at least once a day. At first, it was only people in the program, but now I include a bigger circle of people in my life that I count towards connecting. I have many sources of external accountability. I have a sponsor I work with who helps hold me accountable. I have a therapist, two 12-step meetings I attend regularly, and women that I work with who count on me to be working my own program. All of these people help me change my thinking and help me look into things I need to work on. I'm actively working the steps. I've worked the steps um, through my 12-step process in sex addiction, and I'm just beginning to work the 12 steps through two other lenses. 
These four pillars have been my foundation of my recovery program. Without them, I would not have the three years of sobriety that I have, nor would I be in a position to be able to help other people. If I don't take care of my needs first, I'm of no good to anyone else. I hope that you found this helpful today. I hope that you were able to kind of evaluate your program and maybe look at some holes that you've got that you need to fill in so that you can make the progress that you want to make in recovery. Remember that you can go on the website and download the recovery worksheet that accompanies this that will help you look at those four pillars and make that self-evaluation. Before we close, I just want you to remember that you are worth recovery. No matter what's going on in your life, that you are worth it and you can make this happen. Until next time, Amy.